Hello and welcome to the Hard Card Podcast, recorded and filmed at Authentic Collectibles HQ in Perth, Western Australia. For our third episode, we are joined by a driver who marches to the beat of his own drum, there is no doubt about that, but at the same time is one of the genuinely nicest people on the supercars grid. He's still also exceptionally fast, even if he's getting a bit long in the tooth. Of course, I'm talking about David Reynolds. David, you know I'm only joking about you being old, particularly as we are exactly the same age, I'm pretty sure, so um, I won't (laughs) teach you too much about that, but how are you going today? Yeah, mate, I'm going really good. I'm joined by my boss and my teammate. (laughs) It looks a lot like you're sitting in the report. boss's chair right now, actually. I am. I'm in, I'm in his office. Have a look. In his office, there's his, <laughs> there's his cup, says the boss. The world's that's, greatest uh, boss. <laughs> that's his that, phone he talks to. <laughs> <laughs> there's some very strong uh, The Office vibes there with the world's greatest boss uh, mug. Yeah, um, let's... Um, Let's start with your rapid start to the supercar season in Bathurst last week. You seem pretty happy after testing, and I guess we kind of know why. Now, it wasn't a perfect weekend for the Bathurst 500, but plenty of pace, decent results. Are you happy? Yeah, mate, I'm very happy. Um, yeah, like the results is one thing. Like I, I, I think the, the team thought we might have been sort of between sort of 10 and 20-ish, and when we rolled out sort of like between 5 and 10 for the weekend, I think that's above expectation. You know, we ended up six and eight with a with a few dramas obviously over the qualifying sessions everyone everyone could see um so mate i'm i'm over the moon i love working here everyone's really positive really happy and it's just a really cool place to be good vibes there's a lot of focus on young talent in supercars right now and a changing of the guard is definitely not a bad thing for the category but that lap on sunday for you to get into the shootout in qualifying after having those issues getting out in that session like that was clearly an accumulation of all the experience that, that you have from your career so far. Is it nice to sort of remind people that experience counts for a heck of a lot in this business as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, experience is, is like fundamental to this category. It's, it's such a finical category. The cars, so, you know, they're not hard to drive, but they're just really hard to set up. And based on what I've driven, what like based over my last you know, 10 years of career or whatever, I know where to break. I know how to get the most out of a car. I know what to do over the lap to sort of put it together. So all I need to do is, you know, be confident in myself and go and do it. You know, that, that lap I did was a lot of pressure because I literally only did one lap for the whole session because we had engine dramas before that. But um, I knew the track was fast. Like I knew the times that everyone else was doing. So I knew, I, I know, okay, I could go a bit faster here and there than I did in the day before. And, um, yeah, I put together a lap and put, and you know that put me fifth for the shootout, which is awesome. And um, you know, if I had a couple of more runs, I might be able to go faster. I might not have been. I'm, I'm generally one to maximise the car I get given straight out of the gate. So, you know, if any, if anything, if I had the full twenty minute session, I could have done a worse job. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. something might have happened. I might have like stressed out too much, or you know, there's a, a huge mental side to it. But mate, I was really happy with that. It was a, you know, it was a good comeback because. You know, when I first went out, the car felt it sounded terrible, like a tractor was running. And I know from my own experience, I'm like, it's definitely a plug lead or a coil pack. And I said that in the radio, and they they tried to find the the lead, and they couldn't find it. They sent me out again with the same problem. They came back in and actually found the plug lead that had sort of um, melted and frayed a bit, which was causing all the distress. And they changed it, went back out there, and it was perfect. So. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I have the experience to know I've had that before in my life and that's a plug lead sound. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of focus these days on how similar the cars are. We've never had more control parts. The fact you've been able to jump, you know, from a Ford Mustang to a Chevy Camaro and basically be able to maximise the package like that so quickly, are are they really similar? Do they feel similar when you're jumping from one car to the other? Yeah, like they they do feel similar. Um, Obviously the engines are slightly different. The aero package is slightly different this year for both cars, so I can't really comment on, you know, what they have now. But, you know, over the, over the last year with um, Grove Racing, I learned a lot about the car setup and, and the analysis of it. So I've kind of used that my last year into this year and it seems to be working straight out the gate. You know, obviously we're not at the, at the maximum yet. The Red Bull cars were very, very fast and they pretty much hosed everyone all weekend. So we're still, you know, three or four tenths off of those guys in qualifying around there. Um, which sort of carries over to the race. So there's still a lot of, you know, low-hanging fruit. We can go and make our cars better from here and there yeah. and understand our aero better and, and whatnot. So, you know, I don't. the driving part's the easy part. It's the setting up the car and getting the most out of it in that session. That's the hardest part. You're obviously on the shop floor today. You know, you've, we sort of touched a little bit on the vibe of the team, but having a nice strong start to the season, knowing there's some pace in the cars, has that even improved where the team is sort of at coming out of that first round? Um, yeah, I think so. Like, you know, obviously, um, you know, Mark was – he was really good in the race and I was good in qualifying. So, you know, if we can merge the two cars together, we can have, you know, a, a fast qualifying car and then a faster race car. You know, it's a really, really – hard thing as a driver and engineer to sort of determine what to do between qualifying and the race, like how much you detune the car, what's the track going to do, um, when are we going to pit, what's everyone else thinking, like there's so many other questions that you have to sort of talk through to get the most out of the car and, and the race. So, you know, we're still learning a lot about this this package. I'm still, well, I'm still learning a lot about, you know, the difference between the Ford and the Mustang, sorry, the Ford and the Camaro. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a really good first round. Like everyone's really happy, really positive. I love working with Krusty. Um, it's been, I don't know, 15 years since I've worked with him. So yeah, he's, um, he's a really cool, happy cat to be around and that just makes, gives me confidence and makes me want to go faster. You've come into the team. You, you did have the upper hand on outright pace on, on Frosty over the weekend. How did that kind of go down i mean the old adage in motorsport is the first guy you got to be is your teammate but when you're talking about mark winterbottom winterbottom you're talking about a guy who's been there and done that and doesn't necessarily have heaps to prove does that take the sting out of the teammate battle a little bit the fact that you guys are both so experienced and have already got so many runs on the board um yeah it does i reckon like you know we're both older um you know we don't have we don't have egos to satisfy we're just trying to do the best job for our team and our sponsors um i don't I don't like that he was back there. I actually feel quite bad to be up the front, him down the back, because you know I want both cars up the front, scoring points for the team and racing each other hard, and you know pushing each other further up the grid. Everyone always talks about you know having a teammates close to you. Does that push you? It doesn't really push me at all. It it, it doesn't really do anything to me. It, it is what it is. If they're if they're first, I'll try and be second. If I'm first, I hope they're second. Like I don't really care. It's not. I don't have that. Um, internal battle within the team that, you know, it, people say it does push the team forward. I don't believe that at all. I, I go out there and maximise everything I get, regardless of if it's a single-car team, four-car team, whatever, I don't care. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can, you know, get his car up, up the up the field. Like I said, it was only it was only round one. We've still got 
you know, many different types of tracks to go to. Uh, the Grand Prix is the next one, which I know he does very well at. Yeah. And I've been well, I've been good there at the past. But um, yeah, Mark's the absolute, Mark is, the, uh, is pretty much the reason why I'm at this team. You know, um, he sort of told me how good it is and what Charlie's like to work for and, and everything they're trying to do here. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. That sounds great. And I, and I joined based on his recommendation. So I'm thankful that he t- sold me such a good story. Let's talk a bit about your decision to join the team because when when you sort of made that call or when it came out in July or August or whenever it was last year, the Camaro was definitely the car to have. Grove Racing was actually in a bit of a slump at the time. You were offered, you know, the the, the, the multi-year, three-year contract to give you a bit of security and stability at this stage of your career. Like it seemed like an absolute no-brainer of a move. Fast forward a sort of couple of months from there and you're winning races in a Grove Racing Mustang. <laughs> the parity tide had kind of shifted a little bit that the, the aero balance was actually in the Mustang's favour, as we found out in the wind yep. tunnel testing. Um, the wheels did fall off, teammate, teammate Ian, a little bit after Bathurst. They had to go, you know, make some pretty hard decisions and go through a bit of staff turnover. Yeah. Were there quiet times where you thought, have I, made have the I right actually made the right call here? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, every decision I make, I always question whether that's the right decision. <laughs> Even if I end up doing really well, I'm like, could I have done better in this one? You just, you never yeah. really know. Like, with with any decision in life, there's always like two avenues you could go down and you can look at it um, like the wrong decision or right decision or either way, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's um, you know, whatever team you join, uh, whatever decision you make in life, you, like I always say, I don't have a plan B. You go from plan A to plan A to plan A to plan A to plan A. You don't have plan Bs and Cs, bugger all that shit. That's a waste of time. Um, so, yeah, I, I joined this team with the full intention to, you know, drag it up the grid and make it, um, you know, a front-running team. Uh, leaving leaving Groves, I know, like, the Groves are very, very good people, very good team, very organised. Like, they'll be – they're a very, very – yeah, un- unbelievable team to work with everyone there last year, and I, I learned a lot about how they have structure and how they run and plan things and they're very meticulous and detailed down to the last, like, you know, half a percent or whatever it is. So, you know, hopefully I can take that uh, mentality into Team 18 and and do really well with that. So, yeah, um, you know, it is a decision you make. Um, you know, the three-year deal is, is much better for me in my life. I'm 38 years old. I'm not getting any any younger even though I feel like I'm getting younger, like I feel better and sharper than I did when I was in my 20s. So, you know, age in motor racing doesn't really matter. It, it, it matters if you want to get up and win and, and be the fastest on the day and put every, put all the eggs in one basket. So for me, that's still what I want to do and what I want to be. So, um, yeah, um, that's, we'll see what happens. I'll let you know in a few years whether it worked out or not. <laughs> I'll keep your philosophy. Way, uh... Anyway. I'll keep your philosophy in mind when I'm jumping in the Formula Ford to race a bunch of 18-year-olds in a few weeks' no time. But, um, You're there to um, win. Win. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adrian Burgess has been a pretty polarising figure in the paddock, you know, in the last few years. Um, even the way he joined Team 18, you know, didn't go down well with everyone without any significant gardening leave and stuff. But I have to say that he seemed really relaxed and, and you know, Team Land Adrian seems like a different person to – the head of yeah. motorsport, Adrian, when he's sort of yeah. when he's getting about the paddock, what's it been like working with him, and what influence has he had on the team? Uh, so yeah, when when he joined, he came from obviously supercars, which you know, I, everyone thought that he was going to come with everyone's setups and everything like that, and all the data and shit like that. But <laughs> man, he's, he doesn't know anything. It's I can tell you, he doesn't know anything else other than what he was, wow. you know. 
what there's is my headline. Was. There's my he- hey? headline. Bird just doesn't know anything. Doesn't That's know great. Anything. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> you probably appreciate that. But obviously, he's been. He's been. I think the team land change has been really good for him. He's sort of got that competitive yeah. brain back in his in, in in himself, and he's got the mindset to. Ha- and he's a competitive person. So, yeah, I, I love hanging out with him. He's a very 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 funny character. Very cool to hang out with. He is. And obviously yeah. He's been. He's been in a lot of good teams like DJR, HRT, Triple Eight. He knows how they run, so you know he's um, trying to bring that uh, experience into our team, which is it's it's fundamental in our sport now. Everyone's got the same car. Um, it's down to your systems and your processes and your detail of how you set your car up and how about you go your, and how you go about your weekend. So um, you know his experience is paramount here. I want to ask you about. Matty Payne, because obviously you drove alongside Matty him at uh, at Groves <laughs> last year. He's a different he's a different sort of dude, but um, you know he's, he's proven all... he proved in Adelaide last year that with all the right tools, he's a race winner. Um, yeah, you've seen the data, you've worked with him closely. Like, is he the real deal, this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Matty's the real deal. He's a very fun fun guy to hang out with. I mm. had a fantastic year with him, sharing the garage with him. Yeah, as for his experience, he's he's got the goods, he's got the talent. So, um, you know, he's moved down to Melbourne to be close to the team. He was up in La La Land and Gold Coast last year. Yep. So, you know, now he's moved down to try and, you know, um, I suppose, you know, further his career, which is great. Um, you know, last year we, we sort of raced in the same team. We weren't racing a lot together on the track. And both times over the weekend I had to, like, pass and defend from him. So, like, <laughs> it was so funny. Like, I'm like... Oh, hurry up, Matt! Piss off! Like, get away yeah. from me! <laughs> it's just funny how you change teams and then you're, you're fighting your old teammate. It's it's pretty cool, yeah. but yeah, he's definitely the real deal. He's got a big future ahead of him, and um, yeah, I hope he stays motivated. Now, uh, hats have been a bit of a topic in supercars <laughs> since the Bathurst fire. I see you wearing a tradey beer hat. Let me just say that I do. I was uh, uh, your mate I don't Dowie. Have to wear it though. It should be a choice. I don't yeah, have to yeah, wear all right, it. All right, we'll get on it. Your mate, uh, your mate Dowie gave me a six pack of. Uh, of Trady Beers and Bathurst, and I left them in the media centre fridge, and when I got back to leave the track, three of them were gone. Now, I don't yeah, know who took them. Oh, I don't know. There's been a bit of tension in the media recently. Write about what you like about me, but do not take my beers. That is absolutely uh, where I draw the line. <laughs> I know but you love beer, Andrew. I know you love any, beer. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um... Yeah, what's your take? I mean, you're, you're sponsored. You have a Vodafone relationship. Uh, what's your take on on this whole hat thing and whether you should or shouldn't be told? It was never an issue in the armor all days. Why are we suddenly seeing it as an issue now? Yeah, it's an issue now because, you know, a lot of the teams and drivers have personal deals with, you know, other um, telcos. So, you know, it's just a bit rude if, if you were to made to wear the hat, I think. I don't think that should be – I don't think that should be part of it, like – you know, you can stand there with the – well, I suppose, do you have to accept the check? I don't, I don't know. It's a really sticky sort of scenario, isn't it? I've never really yeah. – I've never come across this before. So um, it's, a, it's a new thing for myself and if I, I'd – you know, I've been um, – if I was to get pole, I I would probably not wear the hat. Um, I'd probably accept the money though. I don't know. <laughs> like, can you <laughs> – if I was to get pole, can I just say I'm second? Like – just identify as becoming second and then we can give the poll check to Maybe. someone else and they can deal with all this mess because, I don't know, I just want to want to go win races and not deal with all this stressful politics. So, um, yeah, I, you know, arguably, I, I don't know, mate, it's really confusing. I, I don't think, um, you know, it's, it's hard enough to get sponsorship and then when you have the, have the category 
have their own sponsors. It sort of makes every all the lines a bit blurry and a bit slippery. So, you know, it's I don't really know. What's your take on it? You tell me. You're the you're the bloke sitting at home looking at it. My take is that things are going pretty well for a bloke if uh, five grand isn't enough for him to put a hat on his head. That's what I'll. Uh, that's <laughs> what I'll say. Yeah, but then he, he might. He might like he might have a contract saying he can't wear I, any yeah. any any other hats or any other branded to do with other, any other telco. So he might lose, you know, his sponsorship deal based on that. So. You know, I think it's, pretty, it's I think it's very much on supercars to to come up with a solution to this because they've agreed to the to to the um advertising on the, on that sponsorship yeah. on the basis of of certain uh of, of of there being certain things in place um so and that's causing issues with the team so I actually think it's a supercars and teams issue that they need to get uh, get on top of but um Triple Eight is Triple Eight yourself are certainly not alone in in having concerns over that branding because obviously, you know, we know that Peter Adderton such an outspoken bloke as well and he's not everyone's cup of tea and he has some great friends in the paddock and he has some people that aren't all that fond of him. So yeah. that's I, that's kind of kind of comes with it, I, I suppose. Peter, I reckon he's fantastic and he says he speaks his mind and yeah. you know, I think he's I think he's great. Um yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a funny it's just a funny scenario, isn't it? Like Yeah. I don't know. Let's, so can I finish can I finish second if I get pole? You can do whatever you like. You just got to roll out can of it I? the last corner, mate. It's easy. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, but you don't let, know, you try and, you try and yeah. go out there and be as fast as you can and then, you know, you got to deal with all this other crap that, yeah. you know, it, it shouldn't be like that. It's, it's awesome mm. that they actually award a, award, a, um, award a bit of money and make it into a thing yeah. and everything. It's like when we did Blow the Bonnet, um, the, the Co-Drivers Cup, we gave yeah. away more money than the Bathus, than the person who won Bathus. We gave away <laughs> more money than they, That's than right. they got. So. You know the the Ryko yeah. Co-Driver Cup was a was a gleaming success, wasn't it? Huge, huge success. They were they were great days. Those ones. Let's let's they talk a bit about speaking your mind and that sort of stuff because one thing that's come up a lot uh, recently in supercars is sort of a lack of household names. It's not a it's not a lack of talent. The depth of talent in, in supercars is is probably as good as it's ever been. But you know we've seen Scotty and Shane go overseas, and how many household names are really left in the sport, you are one of them. You've, you know, throughout your whole career been someone who's been very open and themselves and spoken their mind, but it hasn't always been easy, right? Like it's not easy to be that way. Mm. Yeah, it's not really. It's, it's, it is easy to be that way because you're just being yourself and you don't, you don't care. But um, Yeah, but you run into dramas. Like you run well, into dramas if you get it a bit wrong, as you well yeah. know. Yeah, oh, mate, I'm always in always in some sort of drama, whether it's at <laughs> home or on the racetrack or whatnot. So, yeah, as long as you're as long as you're yourself and you have your own thoughts and your own originality, I suppose it's it's not you know it's it's just being you, and it, people can like it or hate it or whatever. Like um, household names, like Frosty beside me, he's yeah. he was part of a Disney movie. Like that's awesome. Like he should yeah. he's still a household name. But as Absolutely. far as as far as all the drama and stuff, it's all part of the parcel. Like you know, the, the sport wants you to be sort of loud, outspoken, not outspoken, but have a personality, say what you think. But then sometimes you say what you think, and then you get slapped on the wrist for it. So you know, it's it's a it, you can't you can't get you can't give us the green light and then give us the red light straight after you give us the green light because mm. then it t- caused too much confusion, and then no one wants to talk about how they think or. Or what they want to say, so everyone just gets on camera and thanks the sponsors and yeah, 
it's all it's all pretty mundane shit. So yeah, I don't know, man. I don't I don't know. But luckily, I'm not running the sport because it'd be it'd be wild wild west out there. <laughs> <laughs> you've I mean you you're working with you know the most experienced driver uh, in the category now. But you have you know previously you worked with Anton, obviously with Matt um, as well. Has, has there been and you know Andre as well? Has, has there been times where you have been able to impart a bit of you know, wisdom on on how to deal with the outside of the car stuff in this sport and how to ride the waves of, oh, I said something that's made me a little bit unpopular for a second, but, you know, that, that'll come back to you and all that sort of stuff? I suppose, like, um, it, you know, media is so, it's so fast these days that you might say something that pissed someone off, but then the next day there's a new story that's it's going another direction. So everything blows over, everything takes time, but it always blows over and everyone gets on with their life and people have got short memories in motor racing and they forget. So um, if you say anything that's it's wrong, just forget about it, I reckon. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, everything moves on so quick. Like, And then Matt Payne last year, he was having a bit of a struggle. Um, and he had what I call over-analysis paralysis or an- over-analysis paralysis where you know, he was analysing so much. Everyone was telling him how to drive, do this, do that, think about this, think about that. I'm like, dude, just, just, I could see it was all getting to him. And one test day, I said, dude, just fuck all that stuff. Like, can I swear? Sorry. Yeah, swear away. I said, just, just like, piss all that stuff off. Just focus on yourself. You know how to drive a car. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Just do, just forget everything. Just listen to yourself. And ever since that day, he started just, getting better and better and stop, you know, over-analyzing everything because yeah, I, I suffered that when I was a, a junior. Like you just have so much um, input from everyone else trying to help you, trying to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, it's actually hindering you because, you know, you, you just have so many confusing, conflicting thoughts that you can't sort through what's right, what's wrong and, and everything. So, you know, hopefully he learnt that from me. When you look at your life, you're kind of uh, in a – somewhat unique situation um, because your partner Tahan, she has her own public profile through her media work and all that sort of stuff. You know, you're a celebrity couple to some sort of extent. Does it help that you can kind of actually share that journey with someone who does understand what life in the public eye is kind of like? I mean, the journey just of being a professional athlete, of being a public figure, all that sort of stuff. Oh, yes and no. Like, um, my life with her is my life with her. It's, you know, she was on a large TV show 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, and she's still semi-recognised from that. Um, even to this day, like young, well, not young kids, they're not young anymore, but kids that were like 12, 13, highly impressionable that watched that uh, Big Brother series. Now they're like 22, 23, 24. They still come up to her and go, oh, I watched you when I was a kid and I loved it and da-da-da-da. So it's actually quite cool to watch all that happen. Um but you know, you know, I don't know. It's a quite of a weird thing to sort of talk about, isn't it? Because <laughs> mm. now we've got a family yeah. together, and and um, you know, I like to try and keep that life separate. Um, you know, they do come to the track and hang out, and yeah, you know, I, I, for me, it's just normal life, and for her, it's probably just normal life too. But for other people, it's it's seen as some celebrity thing. But for us, we're just normal people just trying to trying to raise yeah. a couple of kids <laughs> to go about life so you know we're, I'm a very simple person I'm from Auburn Wodonga um, and you know keeping things simple is is 
you know it's it's paramount in these in this in this day and age i think so yeah i i, I don't try and think think too grand the scheme or too too far ahead i just focus on the now and what can i what can i do better and um how can i help my family grow up and how can i help her even though you know she's basically not she's not a full-time mum now but she's you know she doesn't she doesn't have um she doesn't work anymore so she's a full-time mum but you know i'm trying to help her out as much as i can because i know that is the hardest job out of any of us that is a very mm. very difficult job raising two kids yep. and keeping your sanity Absolutely. I'm sure you've been watching, like everyone in the sport, this uh, this Brody Kostecki situation closely. You know, you've you've ridden the highs and lows with that team. You know, you won the Bathurst 1000 with them and then left, you know, while you were still in contract. Have you been in a position to reach out to anyone on either side of the ledger, whether it's Betty or whether it's Brody or, or anyone like that, or have you just sort of stayed in, as out of it as possible? Um, I'm just staying out of it, dude. <laughs> I know I've been in that situation. I know how hard it is. Um, and yeah, it's not much more I can say. No, absolutely fair enough. Let's, uh, let's finish up with the <laughs> authentic collectibles. <laughs> well, cause why not? I, I'm not doing my job if I don't ask you that question. Yeah, true. I know. Uh, you've answered uh, it very well, David. Do not worry. Um, let, let's finish with the authentic collectibles top 10 shootout. It's 10 rapid fire questions. Um, a lot of like to do these. with collect. Yeah, collectibles, because as you can see, I'm surrounded by them here at, uh, at Authentic. So uh, let's start with, David, who was your sporting idol when you were growing up? Who was my sporting idol? I had a couple. Hmm. It was obviously mm-hmm. Etten Senna. Yep. Um, Thomas Mazera. Oh, wow. Mark Dave. Yeah. Um, and Carlos Sainz. All right. Ah, oh, love Carlos. All, all You've, uh, people. You had some. Uh, you've got a few good ones there. Did you ever collect any motor racing related memorabilia, or you know, trading cards or models or anything like that? Man, I reckon I stole the hundred meter sign um, from the <laughs> Melbourne Grand Prix in like ninety nine, maybe maybe two thousand or something. That's really all I took. <laughs> yeah, you sure no, you weren't that... one of the guys getting around Bathurst on the twelve hour weekend drawing uh, bits and pieces around? <laughs> 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 Seems like something you would do. Drawing phalluses anywhere. <laughs> um, do you collect things from your own motorsport career? Do I collect things? Uh, yeah, I've got helmets and suits. What's your favourite piece of David Reynolds-related memorabilia? What's my favourite piece? To be yeah. honest, none of them. I actually don't like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not even anything from a certain victory at no, Mount Panorama or anything no, like that? Like, No, I don't know. I'm not really – I collect them, but I'm not really into it, so – it's quite funny. I've got all my helmets and most of them I sort of – I haven't – you know, Penrite have half of my collection scattered around their office somewhere. So, yeah, um, yeah, I haven't – I've sold two in my whole life and I've kind of regretted selling them. So, don't know why, but you kind of attach yourself to that helmet and that year and what it meant to you and all the memories that surround itself with that year. So, yeah, um, I kind of regret that we're at selling them. Have you uh, collected anything or do you have anything from outside of motor racing? Have I collected anything outside of motor mm. racing? What oh. about your alien statue? Have you still got that? No, nah, I sold it. Yeah. Sold it for a profit. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I think I bought it for like, I don't know, 1800 bucks, and I sold it for two and a half grand. So oh. stoked. Made, Laughing. Made, made heaps of money. <laughs> Flush. All right. 
But that, that, that's a good enough answer for that one. What's the ultimate race car you'd like to drive? Past, present, whatever. What would you love to have a steer of? Oh, the ultimate race car. Ultimate, ultimate, yeah. ultimate. Formula One car for sure. Okay. Um, any any era from Formula One, I'd love right. I'd love to have a go at. They are just fast, cool, and just yeah. Maybe, probably not this era, the turbo hybrid era. I'd probably prefer like the you know the V V10 era. Yeah, that something that made a bit of noise. And, yeah, yeah, that that is distinctly Formula One for me. You've got to replace Davo in that two seater at some point at uh, Albert Park. That'd be the, uh... I'd crash it. <laughs> <laughs> um, name a name name a team driver or personality from motorsport that you'd love to work with. Again, can be past or present. Um, a personality that I'd love to work with. Mm-hmm. Oh, there'd be a couple. Probably Scafy. Yep, he's just super intense. <laughs> yeah. You've sort of worked with him, I suppose, in a, in a, a way, just bit, with his role in the series even. Yeah, I suppose a little bit. Um, who else would I like to work with? Oh, man, I don't really know. Will Brown, when, no. when I shared the car with Will Brown at, at Bathurst that year, that was fun. Yeah. Um, and he's just a real relaxed character, really happy and easy to get along with. Yeah. Um, who else? Far out. That's good. That's a couple. That'll enough. do us. Oh, yeah, cool. that's good enough. Uh, do you ever get sick of eating nothing but steak? No, I never oh. get sick of eating steak ever. Do Do you ever treat yourself to junk food? And if you do, what's your go to? Oh yeah, I like I like junk food, but it just makes you feel terrible and you put on so much weight. But what do I like, man? I love like donuts, croissants, baked goods, all that, all the stuff yeah, right. that's terrible for you. That <laughs> I don't know. But then you eat it. And it has, like, a really good taste, but then you feel like going to sleep like an hour later. It's like, oh, that probably wasn't good for me. Yeah. Yep. That uh, I doesn't do that to me, but uh, I'm sure it does to you. Um, what's the best road car? I think I know the answer to this one, but what's the best road car you've ever owned? The best road car I've ever owned? Yeah. Um, the best, like, I've got a, a RX-7 Series 1. Yeah. I thought them. that's what you. I thought that's what you go. Is that running at the moment? I think you were giving it a bit of a rest yeah. day, weren't you? Yeah, I've thought it hasn't hasn't been driven since 2006 and it's yep. been sitting in mum and dad's shed and I've dragged it up here to my mate's um, rotary shop, L, yep. um, LCR. Give them a shout out. They've been really good to mm-hmm. me. And, um, yeah, we're sort of in the process of getting it going and getting it registered and everything. And obviously back then, almost 20 years ago, the laws were a bit different and now they've sort of changed. Yep. So it's a bit harder to get registered in, in, it, in its previous form. So now I've had to modify a few things. But uh, otherwise, I had a WRX, yep. uh, like a 97 WRX, and honestly did the best handbrake turns in the world. It was like I, I remember the car well. I remember it well from the good old, cool. the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> it was dangerous but so much fun. Um, what else? Yeah, that's probably it. They're like, you know, those older sort, older sort of cars that have a lot of character. Yeah, cars that feel like cars when you drive them. Not yeah, like, they do, yeah. Not with all the modern stuff. I totally agree. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll let you carry on with your day, Dave. Oh, Thanks thank for joining you, us. Was that 10 questions yep. already? That was 10, yep. That was yeah. 10. It was a lot more than 10 if you go through the whole pod. But thanks for joining <laughs> us. Best of luck for the rest of the season, mate. Looking forward to seeing how you go. All right. Thanks very much.
And we thank Dave again for joining us on the latest episode of the Hard Card at Authentic Collectibles. Speaking of authentic, they have plenty of Dave Reynolds models for sale. They also have a heap of Team 18 models for sale. So make sure you check out all the stock that's available on their website at the moment. Also, remember to like this video and subscribe to the Authentic Collectibles YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with more Hard Card. Thank <laughs> you.